created live on Fireside. morning, everybody. This is Laura DeVoe, and welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it's my honor to bring you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy, the number one higher education newsletter on the Substack platform, and follow me here on Fireside, Twitter, LinkedIn, and other social media platforms. Today's show, War on Campus, special dispatch from Ukraine. Uh, On February 22nd, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. Since then, much of the Western world has been united behind the people of Ukraine. For those of us in the United States on campuses, we have had to focus on supporting our Russian as well as Ukrainian students staff and faculty who may be part of our communities. But have we considered what it's been like on the ground in Ukraine for Ukrainian educators? Today, it is my privilege and honor to have Dr. Olena Muradayan joining us from Ukraine. And I want to thank her for being here. Hello, Dr. Uh, Olena. How are you this morning? Good morning for you and good evening for us because we are in Ukraine. It's actually 6 p.m. and TM, fine, thanks. Thank you for being here. I want to give a a proper uh, introduction to Elena. She is the Dean of Sociology at uh, Karazin Kharkiv National University, and she's been there since 2015. She's an associate professor. She has her PhD in sociology, a rector's advisor, Uh, She's Commissioner of Gender Affairs uh, at the university, and for more than 100 days, Elena has been experiencing being the campus leader under the strain of warfare. During this time, she has faced multiple challenges from students and teachers' evacuation from the hot zones to relaunching the educational process while existing in a war zone. During this time, international social bonds have become a reliable source for academic survival under warfare. We are here to learn about how the university survived during challenging times. What are they, what are the key plans in the nearest future? Um, And uh, for the long term, Uh, we are hoping Elena will be able to touch on those today. And uh, she will also describe urgent challenges that Ukrainian higher education institutions, scholars, and students have faced for the last 100 days, as well as the ways in which international allies can help and provide support. For those of you who are new to the uh, Fireside platform in the bottom right-hand corner, I'm sorry, the bottom left-hand corner, there is a a dot uh, with two lines and an orange dot. If you go to that dot, uh, you can click on that. That is the hamburger. The hamburger will allow for you to broadcast the show to the world. So you can link it to your uh, Twitter account, your LinkedIn, whatever the case may be, whatever is your other preferred social media platforms. The other thing that can happen is you can actually ask questions and we encourage you to do so uh, later on in the show. I'll give you that prompt and uh, I encourage you to ask any questions. Um, So Uh, I want you to start here is, Elena, can you tell us about your role at the university prior to the war and tell us a little bit about what the community was like before uh, 100 days ago when when war hit hit your campus? Okay. Um, Actually, you know, it's a bit complicated already to remember what was before because our change, uh, our life really changed radically. Uh, but my role didn't change much. Uh, I uh, came to the university as a student uh, almost 22 years ago uh, in 2000. And all my life I spent at university, first as a student, later as a researcher, later in the management. So um, before the war, I was a dean of the faculty, one of the biggest faculty in uh, sociology. School of Sociology in Ukraine, and I'm a dean of the uh, School of Sociology that actually was first uh, in independent Ukraine. Um, We have uh, almost uh, 1,000 people of staff, uh, more than 900 uh, 
students, uh, to be uh, clear, 934, and more than 100 uh, of my staff. So it's quite big uh, auditorium that I was managing, and that was my main uh, role at university. Also, as you have mentioned, uh, I'm a lecturer, so in parallel I was doing my lecturing uh, on a regular base. Uh, it was my part-time uh, job. So I had to lecture in comparative studies, in social inequality, gender issues, many things. Uh, so that was um, main things. We had a lot of research. Also, I am ahead of few international projects. Uh, maybe later I will touch this topic and because we continue to do this. Uh, so that was my life. And uh, as you mentioned, also, uh, I was a rector advisor and I am nowadays in general issues. This is one of the special uh, my research focus. So that was the main things. So for folks who don't understand the size of the university, uh, how many students were actually enrolled in the full university? Uh, I can say that we are quite big university because we are classical university. Mm -hmm. uh, this year in January, we turned 218 years because we were founded in uh, 1804. Uh, and uh, we are a university uh, that consists of 23 schools. You can find everything from mathematics to philology to physics, uh, all kinds of economy fields. And uh, generally, it's 23,000 uh, students. It's up for full-time, part-time students. And we are quite big and familiar for international students. And we were the biggest auditorium of it uh, among other universities. Uh, it was more than 4,000 4, students, international students. Um, also, that was a big challenge for us when war started with this amount of them. Uh, I can say that uh, we are talking about higher education. So all these kind of rankings, everyone likes it. We also we love a good ranking, we, right? <laughs> yeah, and we were proud and we are proud to be the first in Ukraine. We have uh, really good competitors in Kiev because Kharkiv is a quite... Uh, big city, but we can say that it's second biggest city in Ukraine. But with its potential, uh, we always were one of the leaders connecting to the research, to scientific life, to students. But we uh, were and we are top one if you compare, if you talk about, for example, QS uh, ranking. Mm -hmm. And even this year uh, with a new uh, ranking, we are the same on the top uh, one. And uh, the main idea is uh, that's... Uh, uh, it, it was the story for many, many years to be on the mm. top, to be involved in uh, different research projects, because uh, mm. if uh, someone will be interested, you can just put Google, you can open and see our history. Uh, we have quite familiar and quite famous school in physics, in astronomy, uh, in uh, some Slavonic languages, etc., etc. And... Uh, uh, as an example uh, for post-Soviet countries, it's really quite a serious amount. We had, uh, we have more than two hundred thirty international partners that mm. were involved in different research projects. So you can imagine this amount, and uh, we are really, really a um, big university. And so, you know, this is a very complex university. For those of us who are U.S. Uh, folks listening to this, uh, people in Canada, you know, there are a lot of uh, universities are very complex places. Um, you know, you can be the dean uh, or someone providing academic oversight for one division of the institution, but that is one cog in the giant wheel. And there's a lot of aspects of that. Every part of the university, you know, every university has a big culture what it feels like, what it, what it kind of, what's the mode of the campus as people are walking around? Why do people like to be there? What's going on? But then when uh, a emergency happens of any kind, um, you have to make some decisions about what kind of uh, work continues. How do you protect your students, um, your community? And this is a crisis of, of uh, proportions that most institutions don't deal with. Even if you have a, an, a, a large, say, a climate-related emergency, whether it be a storm or an earthquake or something like that, that's temporary. This is ongoing. And, you know, when all of, uh, when the war started, what did it, what was kind of the first thing that happened with you? Obviously, you wanted to take care of yourself and the people you love, but what was the first thing that happened in terms of working with the university and how did your role shift? 
you know, uh, more than three months has passed and now we can try to summarize it, to analyze, to remember all of this. But uh, the main thing is that it was shock. It was shock for everyone. It doesn't, uh, as you said, uh, yeah, the first mode is survival mode. First, you need to survive somehow. Uh, so um, I think all the world saw all this problem with evacuation because War is not something that is regular. Yeah, war mm. is something that we were not uh, we were not ready yeah to face. And uh, what we started to do, of course, we stopped our educational process the, the same day and uh, all stayed at home. And uh, mm. we tried to, to give uh, as more information as possible that you need to stay if you need to find bomb shelters, you need to uh, to be uh, to stay, for example, in the metro because it's a safe uh, places. Uh, from the first day uh, till today, when we talk to you, Kharkiv uh, is a city that uh, were attacked and were bombed every day. We didn't have mm-hmm. any, even one day uh, that were really calm for us. You need to understand the specific from the first minute of this war, because uh, Kharkiv is a city on the border. Uh, from from uh, of the uh, border, we are bordered with our aggressor. Yeah, and the point is that people and our students could move just to the one side, to the west. Right. So uh, what we started to do, uh, actually, we stopped our uh, educational process uh, almost for one month. We started, we mm-hmm. renewed, but in the end of the March, war started on February twenty four, and we uh, fully started on uh, March twenty eight. Till that time, our main priority was uh, safety of our students and doesn't matter international students Ukrainian students so we started the process of evacuation uh, evacuation replacement students to the more safe place and it was quite complicated because uh, uh, it was quite dangerous to move on the train station and train uh, railways uh, system wasn't able to do it quite fast because on that time Kharkiv uh, was the city where uh, I can say almost 2 million people uh, was in the same time. And uh, it's impossible even if you use uh, the railway uh, every hour, it's impossible to everyone to be evacuated. Can't and get again, everybody out, yep. Yeah, yeah. So main uh, ideas were the evacuation, but not everyone wanted to be evacuated quite fast. So some of them uh, saw that maybe one, two weeks it will, it will, uh, this madness will uh, stop. Yeah. So uh, we faced the problem of some basic needs for students who stayed in dormitories, who stayed with their uh, families, but in a quite dangerous. Uh, parts of the city. So our main uh, task, as we realized on the first uh, uh, week, I, w- I will uh, share my experience, but it's actually a problem that uh, was uh, similar for all our schools. We faced the problem uh, where to buy food because mostly shops was closed in a, uh, in a very... Um, in a big part of the city, not everyone, but some shopping mall was open, closed. You you need to manage to find this time. Later, you need uh, to stay in a long line to find that, that food. And later, you need to find some crazy taxi driver. I think that taxi driver during this uh, period were really heroes because under the shelling, they were able to deliver that food. And that was really big challenge. Now I can uh, even smile. I can summarize it. But that time we were under the total stress how to manage this Mm -hmm. problem with water uh, with some basic uh, medical needs also uh, medicine pharmacy system was really struggling with the idea uh, their ideas because that time first uh, few weeks we didn't have good logistics we didn't know Mm -hmm. how to get humanitarian aid Uh, quite fast we got that uh, solution and even nowadays logistics in ukraine are quite uh, good and all international uh, humanitarian aid that we got quite good in providing even to our eastern part of Ukraine. But that time, that was really big, big problem. And uh, the point was even uh, to find that support. So we realized that if someone proposes your help, you need to be agree. 
financial right. help, right. Uh, uh, informational help uh, to share what kind of needs you have, uh, uh, help with evacuation for replacement, to find places for students who are abroad uh, uh, to stay in some dormitories of other universities. So we faced this kind of problem. First, uh, human resources problem, where to find people who will to do this, these basic needs, uh, medical uh, issues, mm-hmm. evacuation, transportation, and of course, uh, information. All the right. time we were staying and monitoring where our students are, where our staff are, are they safe, what can we do for this safe, etc. And how did you do that? I mean, from somebody who does crisis management as part of my job here, and I teach a type of crisis management class, one of the things that, that is interesting to me is, is this whole logistics piece. Um, and that I know that when it comes to things here, where if there was a storm or something of that nature, and you lose power, and you're kind of stuck, right? And you can't necessarily find people because you can't get on the internet or you can't get on the mainframe. How, you know, first of all, I haven't asked you this question and I apologize. Where are you physically right now? Uh, right now, I'm uh, a little bit more than 100 kilometers from the Kharkiv. It's a small uh, town, uh, Poltava, called in Kharkiv region. But every few days, uh, I try to move to Kharkiv to do this management. But that time, I was in Kharkiv, directly in Kharkiv. So then when you're able to, now you're trying to, to logistically keep track of people and you got to know where your students are. So, you know, I'm thinking back to what we experienced that most universities experienced, even when the, when the pandemic hit and you're saying, okay, we've got to send people home or we've got to move people around and we've got to figure out where they are and we need to make sure they're getting access to their classes. Were you able to learn anything from maybe the pandemic? Was that helpful in any of this? Or how did you kind of build on this? Because you, you nobody prepares you to manage a, a, a massive and complex campus during a war. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, after the war, I need to um, learn some crisis management course or lecture to see what did I do right or did I do wrong, <laughs> what kind of experience. But I think I can share my experience with someone who teach it in theory. Okay. And to be serious... Um, um, we didn't have any, um, yes, you stuck for some time. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's scary to go out on the street because you can't understand what kind this sound. Is it dangerous for you? Because every first day, everything is dangerous. But later, uh, your responsibilities become first. And later, you know, um, especially even in this town, uh, we become a little bit expert. What kind sound of is this uh, bombing here or quite far, etc., etc. So what's... uh, Our logistic was very intuitive. Uh, It... Social network help us a lot, Instagram and Telegram. That's what we used all the time. If I need help, I need to put it, uh, I put it on Instagram that, or on mm-hmm. Facebook. That's how I yeah. started uh, to get help when I say the, uh, made, made a post, made a post. I have it on Facebook uh, story still. Then I mm-hmm. said, like, um, it's okay, I have money, but I don't have people who can buy uh, some kind of basic food and send it to me. Can you do this? And some people started to help me to send it by taxi, etc. So that was just things how we can uh, get it. You know, a situation in Ukraine, um, quite difficult since 2014, 2015. We had that uh, uh, war, that um, army conflict in the Donbass part. and uh, But that was absolutely different because this right. time, this power of social network, especially Instagram and Telegram, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable because uh, that's how volunteering uh, activities became very uh, um, very useful. That's how mm. we solve all logistics. If, uh, if someone... Uh, uh, going by car to other city, they say I have two, three places in my car. I can keep you, or etc., etc. Of how it's uh, if we need financial support now for something, we just open this small f- private fundraising, etc. So right. I'm sure that all people who will study this war later, they will say that social network really was a crucial uh, in this. Um, other is how did we manage with our... Of course, 
COVID helped us, if, if you can say this, yeah. because during the last two years, we were involved in this uh, educational frostly process. Uh, we had all uh, contacts, electronic contacts. Uh, we could communicate with students online. It's really helped us because yeah. as soon as I need to know where is my students, I know that uh, uh, some uh, tutor know uh or some uh, some of my staff who care in group of 20 students, for example, he's like a father or like a mother for these students. So uh, he can, in a, a few hours, know everything about that students do using this. And that's helped us uh, to restart our educational process because we already had all these Google classrooms, these mm-hmm. electronic platforms. Yes, we faced um, many challenges because during the uh, bombing, we had damaged a few buildings because we have 23 schools and four schools uh, actually lost their uh, buildings uh, mm. uh, because... and. Uh, uh, one school of economics, uh, business school, one physics, management uh, school. Uh, but also our main buildings were damaged. Now it's work more properly, but that time our service didn't work. So some platforms there, and it took time. That's why we moved to this uh, city, to mm-hmm. Poltava, to have some logistic center to find this. Yeah. My, personally, me, I moved because uh, my apartment's building uh, was uh, damaged and it was impossible to stay there anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, after a few weeks. But later, uh, as I told you, many of our administrative part moved here and we started to uh, logistically manage this and now we move back and that's why um, in a, uh, mostly two weeks I'm also for um, plan to uh, back to Kharkiv and to stay there so already all the time because now we used to this situation and we realized that uh, already this is our new reality. If nothing crucial will happen, uh, even we have this attack, mostly artillery attack, uh, but still we already trying to back to our places. Uh, I think... Uh, Three, four hundred thousand uh, people already, Kharkiv citizens back to their homes. Now we can't have full statistic, but around one million uh, people, as we think, uh, staying in Kharkiv. Quite uh, huge. And even when we calculate and try to see about our students, our staff, we can see that uh, more than from two and a half thousand people who are teaching at our university, a lot of stuff. More than 1,000 staying in Kharkiv. Wow, okay. Uh, Yeah, and approximately 1,500 are in uh, uh, Ukraine or uh, out of Ukraine, but they are still involved in this process in these online uh, uh, platforms. So, you know, one of the big things about uh, preparing for a crisis is that you have to have, you know, kind of a not only a plan, but one of the big pieces of the plan is about having... uh, an opportunity to be able to, to have backup. Okay. And like a bench. And so what you're talking about in terms of, uh, people relocating to a city nearby where you could be together, where you could help to communicate with your colleagues to say, okay, what should be our priorities? Where should we be right now? How do we make this as, um, I'm not going to say it's normal, but we're going to say that we're functional as best we can be. Um, So you were able to come together with your community, with your uh, fellow uh, colleagues to be able to uh, provide that level of, you know, administrative backbone um, to keep the place running. Um, But I think that one of the things that that is important to consider here is is the for the students who may have, say, decided to go elsewhere. So let's say they picked up and said, I'm going to go to Canada or I'm going to go to the United States or I'm going to go somewhere else. Where else have your students gone for safety? Um, and have they been able to continue their work or are they enrolling in other spaces? And if they're enrolling in other spaces, what is your thoughts on getting them back? So I know there's a few questions there, but I think that that's a question that that's going through my mind. Yeah, actually, that's question that we live in nowadays. Mm. Uh, now it's end of the semester, and uh, in the middle of July, in one month, uh, we will finish our semester uh, fully. That's meal on final tests uh, uh, will finish, and of course, I'm 
I'm sure we will face, uh, I can't say this is a problem. I call it, uh, this is the situation when some part of the students will be relocated to other university. I'm absolutely okay about yeah. this. And yeah. uh, my, my position is, my personal statement, that we need to do our best to help them for this. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I'm really happy to say this, uh, that uh, a lot of students I brought uh, from my um let's say 900 uh, plus uh, students, more than 150 I brought nowadays. That's what I have. Mm. Quite a lot. In different countries, uh, almost 10 students are in Canada, Finland, Poland, Germany, uh, let's say um, Greece, um, Norway, in many European countries. In some of them, one, two, in some, Poland. Poland is the uh, huge community, the biggest community, mostly for all uh, people mm-hmm. who migrated there. And mm-hmm. Poland really provides, we are very uh, uh, grateful to, to this country because they provide really, really unbelievable support. Uh, yeah, uh, also Lithuania, Litva, Estonia, many, many countries. And mm-hmm. the point was that uh, mostly they moved to uh, uh, quite fast uh, because that what they were refugees yeah and later right. they started to search these places and now uh, we are facing another issues when they even if people uh, stayed in ukraine or in kharkiv they try to use this academic mobility possibilities just to move uh, to other university but usually it's uh, some kind of double study uh, it's Quite complicated, for example, for a group of students who are in Canada. We face that because of time difference. Uh, yeah. this, and uh, we understood that. Uh, I'm not sure that from this uh, the 10 people, all of them will continue, but now they are working. So we try to manage to change tasks for them, test, time test, nothing about it. The one rule for my faculty is just forget about deadlines. I'm telling yeah. this to our <laughs> staff and it's just forget. The point is that till end of the semester, uh, students must do it because uh, one serious problem was about uh, technique uh, use of different laptops, notebook, uh, iPads that uh, uh, students really uh, need to have. Because uh, as soon as they were refugees, uh, they were moving uh, out from the country and usually they didn't take all this with them. So sometimes they are ready to continue their studying, but they don't have laptop, for example. And it's impossible. Mm. It's quite complicated to do it with uh, iPhone. Yeah, you, you need you need so, to have a laptop. Yep. Yes, yes, and because of a lot of damages of the flats, how this in Kharkiv, also uh, people could lose everything. And one of our um, campaign was to get support, to get uh, financing or techniques. And for example, we had uh, one donors who are helping us and now as an example in Warsaw one of our alumni agreed to accept uh, 34 laptops they are staying in her flat and students who are in Poland they could come who didn't have mm. that can mm. come take it and use it uh, that's that's really the small small step that's it's that uh, neighbors helping neighbors as we call uh, it here in the United States yeah, it's yeah, that, okay alumni of our school of sociology she just lived in poland and help came from usa mm. actually they just bought that laptop for us on ebay and we are sharing for students so uh, the the main things is now first to provide this academic mobility to help them uh, to be able to study in these two places because we faced really uh, a lot of great uh, supportive words from students who say, thanks God that you continue studying. We would like to finish this study. We would like to continue to do this because we should talk not just about safety of students, but also of the staff, of the lecturer, of the professor. They also faced a lot of problems, psychological, emotional, etc. And we should provide this technical support. And also... uh, no one knew how long it will be. And right. some students uh, was accepted to the university for one month, two months, three months. And now uh, the problem is what to do. Not yeah. all 
universities has uh, official uh, uh, long-term programs. Sometimes they don't know what to do with the student. They start a new application, new things. Mm-hmm. One is how long they will be able to give all the social and financial support. And this is our main task nowadays, to find place for these uh, students. But time will show, will it be really serious brain drain or no? My point is that they will continue studying two places, our mm-hmm. university and other university, but we will do our best to get um, to, to get our let's say success and positive moments from this because we also have uh, more than around already forty. Uh, staff of my staff who are from more than 100 who are abroad, but they are emotionally stable, psychologically okay, so are, they are really good source of support for us, for teaching, etc. And usually they are caring of that students who are uh, abroad. So we have so social support circles. So we have there our students and our staff also. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're really trying to do is create an opportunity for your students to know that they still have a connection to the university in Ukraine, know that they have a connection, not only a virtual connection, but a physical connection, and that when it's ready and they're ready, they are they are welcome to come back. Um, and there's going to be some students who, for whatever reason, are going to stay where they're at, and that is something that you've wrapped your head around. Um, and ultimately, it's going to take some time for people to rebuild. There's going to be, as you said, there's been destruction on campus. Some facilities are gone. If I was someone researching in that space, I may say, okay, I need to cut my losses and and try someplace else. Um, it's a lot for people to wrap their heads around. And so I think that's an important thing to consider. Um, for our folks who are listening, um, you're on uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the Fireside Chat, which we are here um, uh, weekly on the Fireside platform. Um, I am being joined by Dr. Elena Muradayan uh, from uh, the university, National University in Kharkiv, uh, Ukraine, uh, talking about how uh, the war has impacted this over 200-year-old university. Uh, and uh, right now, scrolling in uh, the center of your app, you will see some links uh, on how to help financially uh, to help the uh, university if you are able to. There's information here on how to donate. Um, coming up on the 22nd next week, we will have our last show of June before we take a short summer break uh, with uh, Nancy Hunter Denny. We will be focusing on professional development and setting your own uh, professional development course for the uh, upcoming academic year. And then we'll be back uh, weekly starting in August uh, for uh, season two. Uh, And so I want to uh, ask a a question, Elena, that one of the things that we've been seeing a lot um, in terms of an an understanding of late, especially uh, in uh, here in the United States, but I think it's an international issue, is the reality around how students and and people in our communities handle trauma and uh, how trauma is actually supported within the community. Um, you are experiencing an enormously different type of trauma. What we saw here, even with uh, people experiencing the, the pandemic and loss of life and people feeling this isolation, uh, that was one thing. But now you're feeling a whole other level of uh, trauma uh, compounded on top of an international pandemic, on top of, uh, you know, all kinds of things around um what you were talking about earlier about just getting basic supplies, making sure you can you can drink clean water and eat food and all that sort of thing. In terms of the community, and you were talking about making sure that you're connecting with your students, connecting with your staff and your faculty, um, are you finding that there is a space for people to kind of come together and uh, whether it be a virtual space or a physical split space or whatever the case may be, are you finding that people have uh, created community uh, and then this shared and lived experience so that they can start to kind of process the trauma that they're all experiencing together? Um, I think uh, I think it's too early because mm. what is going on? Right. And new, 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 new people are some people coming back 
some people uh, going out of the country. Some people, as I see uh, back to Kharkiv as, as an example, and uh, within a few days, uh, they started to go back. They were back. It's, uh, as for me, it's double trauma. And point is that, of course, all depends on the uh, situation. For example, what is, what, were they refugees that went ourselves, were they evacuated from uh, cities like Bucha, Irpin, Mariupol that were really struggling, huge things that even we can't imagine. Even in Kharkiv, if you can see that students, a person is from Kharkiv, they can have really different experience. Someone who uh, uh, were uh, replaced themselves or were replaced one month ago, that's one thing, uh, uh, two months ago, or other things, or someone who stayed in the part of the city that were bombing enormously a few weeks, they will have absolutely different. Someone who was struggling with that physical needs, people who were, for example, in Mariupol, they, when they even couldn't find uh, uh, to to drink clean water, that's absolutely one thing. For some uh, who lost their houses, their relatives, it's absolutely different. So, mm. uh, of course, uh, we face uh, the situation that students uh, getting um, proposed to get uh, psychological support in every university when they stayed. And all uh, embassies, uh, all volunteering, international volunteering, Red Cross, etc., organization, as soon as they accepting the person, doesn't matter, a student or you know, who in every country they propose this help. That, that's really good because uh, uh, Ukrainians can have this uh, uh, this possibility uh, also not to face another psychological problem with bureaucracy, with documents, mm. with, with, because mostly sometimes they were uh, evacuating even without international passport or even without documents. And it also, you can, can imagine how complicated it can be. Uh, so, uh, yes, we fa- uh, they have that support, but every group of people need uh, all the different kinds of support. And it's quite complicated to understand what is this. And I can imagine that these receivers, they also face uh, the problem how to understand it. Mm-hmm. Some need just basic needs, some need to, uh, really to work with this trauma. But I do believe that in uh, USA and Canada, in, uh, uh, let's say, really developed countries, uh, this psychological support uh, uh, on a professional level will help because mm. um, in Ukraine, for now, we uh, will feel lack of professional who can work with this quite specific war trauma. Right. And you bring up a really important point for people to remember is that you've got students, faculty and and administrative staff who uh, are at the university, but they may be from another part of Ukraine that is under even heavier fire or has been taken over by the Russians. And so there's another layer to this. So it's compounded in different ways. And so there's going to be a different response to folks. Another thing that um, I had the opportunity to hear you at a, at a webinar um, back in April, and you were talking about students uh, because there is a requirement for men uh, to fight in the war. How has that affected the services and kind of the tracking of students? Have you How many students are we talking about? Do you have any idea of how many students are now actively fighting? Uh, you know, nowadays it's uh, mostly only if they have these desires because we have a lot of, let's say, volunteering uh, people who would like to go to protect mm-hmm. their country. And uh, uh, that time we talked about the law that uh, didn't allow to uh, uh, male uh, citizens from 18 to uh, 60 to go abroad easily. There was a way if you're a full-time student, but still was complicated but uh, just uh, today is 15. That's mean two days ago, uh, we got a new, uh, let's say, law uh, that say it's okay. We don't have this kind of forbidden, uh, I mean, it's not forbidden to go for those who are students, for those mm. who are university staff, uh, no, uh, mostly, let's say, part-time staff. They yep. uh, can have permission easily. They, they don't need to uh, give all this bureaucracy circle. They can have just paper that they are students for 
full-time students or they uh, work at university academies, etc., and they can go, go abroad. That's really good for research, for science, for all this educational program, because mostly uh, when, for example, in a week, uh, in the end of this week, I need to go to... Uh, one conference and we faced the problem that's one of my colleagues and to, to to try to be involved in one really serious project but we mm-hmm. faced the problem that he can't go because he just doesn't have time to uh, get this permission from Ministry of Education but now we don't have this barrier so situation changed and we don't have for this let's say gender inequality in some way uh, mm-hmm. that we have. So um, before we get into it, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the research you're doing and what's maintaining and, and what is keeping you connected in terms of research. But I want to ask one last question just about the damage to the campus. And I realize that um, it's still ongoing. I'm sure it's quite shocking when you come back onto the campus and you see what was once a vibrant and very uh, longstanding university. Um, and it's my understanding that parts of the library with um, you know, hundreds of year old text is destroyed, residence halls, dormitories, uh, athletic center. What are we really talking about here? And what, what are some of the things that, that the community is going to have to rebuild? Uh, as I told you, uh, first, that's we uh, faced that was uh, rocket attack on the um, faculty buildings. For as I told you, four of them are not, uh, or partly, all fully destroyed. Also, that's uh, as you mentioned, athletic center, really big buildings in the city center where students could have a chance uh, to do all kind of sports. It's just impossible to rebuild. You just need to build new. We had your university clinic part where international uh, students who mostly was uh, studying on a school of medicine could uh, practice this. Indeed, it was our own department. We were real proud of it, and it's now damaged. Also, uh, school of physics with all equipment uh, inside. Uh, But our main buildings also were damaged, but... um, when uh, we had a rocket attack in the city center, but mostly it was windows. But problem is not just windows. Problem is that that time temperature was minus. That's mean everything uh, inside the buildings, uh, and it's not just about flowers, but it's mm-hmm. heating system, mm-hmm. pipes, etc. also was damaged because of the weather later, because it was impossible just to solve uh, this uh, windows issue, broken windows issues very fast because um, uh, artillery sharing was regular regular, regular. Uh, so uh, we face these things and for now as just approximate calculation uh, of restoration of rebuilding for our just for our university is more than 100 million euros wow. and that's really huge amount that's we need that's uh, uh, why we will have uh, some uh, fundraising campaigns and it's connected to everything to rebuildings uh, to new uh, equipment for physics chemistry etc everything that were uh, damaged so we faced really this and also dormitories uh, uh, two of them uh, we had uh, eight dormitories two of them uh, will be very uh, complicated to rebuild other will be rebuilt uh, later so you know you were talking about research and uh, what what you've been doing and you have a long-standing uh, tradition around uh, gender studies and and that sort of thing what what have what has happened during this experience that has maybe changed your practice, changed your thoughts on research. Um, How has this impacted you as a scholar? Uh, I will tell you about my experience because, uh, of course, I can't tell about all those schools. I told you it's 23 in uh, all disciplines. What about sociology? Uh, Before the war, I was managing with, uh, let's say, three main topics. One connected to food inequality. And we uh, had, uh, we were part, and we are a part, a huge uh, uh, European Commission project. Uh, We had more than 13 countries, 34 projects, and it was connected to urban food policy. Quite interesting. And we were involved there with our uh, Kharkiv municipality. Actually, last week I was in Oslo in Norway and where I gave a report about one and a half year work. But this time, of course, we uh, rewrite all our tasks because before the aim was to uh, do some innovative approach for urban food policy. Now we are 
talking not about innovative. We are taking talking about uh, just what to do to provide basic food to everyone in this huge city. Mm-hmm. How to do to, when we talk about quality? Uh, how to do in a safe way? So uh, every solution is quite. Uh, uh, Innovative. Changed. Your priorities have changed. Where, we, where it used to be maybe an aspirational existence, now it's, it's different. Before, yeah, it's before we talk about highest level of innovation. Now we back to the basic needs. How to provide it? Mm-hmm. For example, um, for st- uh, we have a statistic that in um, April almost fifteen thousand people were lived in metro. So how to provide it because it's a safe place. Now uh, Metro started to rock. These people were replaced to other because people didn't have their houses, many things. Other projects connected to COVID and vaccination and social factors of it. And it's quite interesting because we also have new uh, circle of this research. How it can be connected to the war, you can say, ask. But a uh, few millions people just moved abroad. They came to another countries without COVID passports. No one checked their medical issues and right. it's okay. And they thank, we are thanks for this. But that means it can be, uh, they can uh, be a quite specific uh, part of that uh, societies where they came. What kind of situation, especially this COVID situation, because before we had really huge number of people who were uh, under this uh, COVID effect. And we, um, that next week uh, that I will travel for that project, we will try to join another European Commission project just to see uh, how this Ukraine population and Ukrainian migrants, Ukrainian refugees will affect these European countries. We got this interest. And uh, also these gender issues. Um, it's it's interesting to see what kind of effect it will be. Usually I'm uh, getting the question uh is this affected more male or female? I can't say more or less. I can say it's quite specific because um, uh, when we talk about violence, when we talk about uh, uh, all, all kinds of armies, et cetera, et cetera, male and female uh, part of this uh, society uh, really faced absolutely different uh, problems. And uh, we will try to study this. And the, um, now we involved as a sociologist try to find find financial support and writing our research grant for uh, to understand what kind of social factors of rebuilding of our city uh, will be. Just to get money is not enough because yeah. Kharkiv is a unique city. Uh, mostly people thought it's uh, just Russian-oriented city, but war said, no, it's not. And what will we uh, face to uh, during uh, this renovation, rebuilding? Who will be uh, rebuilding if so many people will scare it to come to this city? What kind of students will come? Will they come or will not they come? Uh, how to work with this trauma? Uh, who will be uh, those who will donate to this city that's connected to very close to uh, Russian borders? So we can see many, many things that we as a sociologist, all this evaluation process, uh, uh, we plan to be involved in this process uh, to see how the social changes uh, will um, will be continuing. It's very interesting because, you know, when it comes to crisis management, one of the things that's key is that when it's over, how do you move and rebuild and make sure that things are done in a better way? We don't want to just slap a, you know, slap a Band-Aid on it or a bandage on it and make sure that you, you actually rebuild uh, the organization, the community uh, better. And you're looking at a complex university, which was an international university, which has students coming from all over the world to study. Um, it's having to position yourselves to be able to not only attract scholars in the future, uh, minimize the brain drain for not only Ukraine, but all the other communities that the university serves. Um, but I know that a university township around it or a city around a university, when a university is shut, the whole community is impacted. This is people's work. This is people's livelihood. The, the taxi driver who drives people to the nightclub who uh, was able to deliver you food and water still wants to go back to the days where he's driving 
young people to the nightclub. Um, and so it's going to have to rebuild in a space that is going to actually feel once again like a thriving uh, intellectual academic space um, and all of the wonderful things that go along with that. Every university in the world that lives within a community, whether it be a small town or a large city, impacts the vibe, impacts the energy of that space. And that is going to be unbelievably important as you build out and you rebuild the institution. Um, you know, it's one thing for money to get to you. And, and again, with, when you listen to the replay, uh, the, uh, the links will be live throughout that replay. And if you're listening to this, uh, on the podcast, uh, later on, there will also be all the links in the show notes. So you'll have that information. But I think one of the things that, that kind of goes through my head, and this is where, um, I'm a little bit snarky about like, you know, I don't know if you understand what I, I don't know if I'm losing my, my ability to communicate here, but this idea of like, I'm a little snarky uh, because here in the United States, we've had several uh, university presidents who uh, wanted to honor uh, President Zelensky for what he's done uh, as a leader and give him something called an honorary degree, an honorary doctorate to um, uh, show their, their respect for him as a leader. And I shot back to people and said, maybe they need not only money, but something when it's safe enough for people from other countries who know university life, who have that experience and say, how can I come to you and help? Where can I provide my expertise to help you rebuild your university to a place where it once was and maybe beyond that. Um, and then we'll get out of here, but we want to help. So beyond money, are you thinking about how you might be able to harness the energy of people who care, who might want to come and help? Has that even come up? Um, th th thank you for this understanding. Just, uh, I would like to add one, uh, things. Kharkiv became so uh, famous, so ambitious, so developed city just because of Karazin University. That for sure. Before this, it was just a small village and that's it. And nowadays we have a lot of universities, uh, but we are the center. Actually, that's why our rector, uh, also uh, we have female rector, who said that we will not uh, uh, go to another place. I mean, we will not replace our university because this is uh, in the city center. Uh, it's, let's say, like a metaphor, like a, a heart of the city. So we will not do this because as soon as we will move it, that's it. We will right. not uh, rebuild this, as you said, energy again. So we can understand it's quite good. We can understand it, that it will not be easy, but we do believe that it will be. Especially because even international students, they didn't give up. They didn't say, give us our records, our documents, we will transfer to other universities. Some of them will do this, uh, but not, uh, we can't see the massive uh, uh, people, uh, so they don't do it massively. So, uh, we, uh, that's why we decided to have this fundraising association, we, we will start to have it, because it's not just money, you are right. Uh, we need to uh, get, for example, support with research for those who stayed in Ukraine. So, that's how uh, we will avoid a huge brain drain, because, and we already have this proposal, uh, that if I stay in Ukraine, if I work for my university, I will have scholarship. It will help me to live in the city with high prices, with some kind of risk, because sometimes... Uh, because our fuel has double price now. Mm -hmm. uh, so not everyone, uh, so if I drive my car, I need to pay two times more than before or taxi drive, etc. Uh, so one thing is to support researchers, not just get money, not just have right. this paternalism, yeah, but to have a feeling that I'm working and rebuilding this country. Second is uh, uh, really to open uh, this some kind of online courses. We will have, uh, we will need to get... Um, a lot of new knowledge about social work mm. with different kind of population because uh, uh, 
uh, we will have different type of disabilities, not just yes, physical yes. disabilities. It will be a huge problem. Problem that our society will face are really, tra- uh, it will be a huge tragedy, but we need to work. And my uh, school of sociology will have not just uh, social, we have all uh, part of social science. We have also social work and social management. I can understand mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. We need to have courses on fundraising, how to do it. It's not just chemistry and give us money. It's not enough. You got you to gotta manage it. <laughs> yeah. We need to some courses to provide for students and for staff about grant writing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Proposal writing, how to show that we are able to continue our research. Even for me, as for Dean, when I was in uh, uh, that's Oslo at university, it was not easy to prove that we are able. We are psychologically stable. We are look for these uh, three months. University participated more than in 30 international conferences. Look, we uh, already graduated all our master's students. They defended their PhD thesis from basements, from different countries, from different cities with unstable internet. But we finished that process. We continue our research. We found partners and our uh, uh, technical uh, people uh, moved to do everything and we continue our study. Even without servers, we found this possibility. Mm. Uh, Or, for example, uh, to be able to create this double diploma. So it will be interesting for students to do this. Many, many, many things. You are right. It's not just about get money, but to find the way of all kinds of support. And what I'm asking in every conference or seminars or webinars or speech is uh, I ask for information support, informative support, because uh, uh, it's more than three months. People starting to forget about this. Sometimes they think, oh, really? What is going on? I really have something. Yes, we have. This is the problem. That's Media, that, that, that's uh, how media works. I can understand that yeah. uh, this news, one week, two weeks, one month, but three months already, yeah. more than three months. And We're of course, people know what's happening one day yeah, to the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the point is just to tell that, yeah, situation is not so easy. And we still, every day people are dying, civilians. Mm-hmm. We are not talking about army. And this is the point. As soon as we will uh, have this information support, uh, we will have this focus on the problem that we'll have. Problems will be different, absolutely different from what we have two months ago or uh, three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this point is even more important than financial support. So one of the things you brought up there about scholarship and research uh, and being able to find partnerships, is there an easy way if someone's listening to this and says, hey, hold on a second, I have a research project, I can help here. Um, I think I might be able to provide service and I'm, I'm in Poland, I'm in the United States, I'm in Canada. Uh, how would someone connect? Is there an easy way? Is it on social medias or something on the university website? What what would we be telling them? Uh, just uh, find our university, write to rector or write to me. We have all our email. And definitely, if you are interested to help uh, to physics, to mathematician, to, I don't know, chemistry, you can write me. I will forward to the deans. It's a rework as a big family. We can understand that it's impossible to survive as a one independent department. That's why when I'm finding, uh, I told you about this uh, uh, case of the laptop that I could find for my students, but also that's people for, from USA, they were, uh, I said, also we need this, 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 and how, um, I, I don't remember how it came, but uh, for now we got 10 microscopes for school of biology, some slides of parasites, something, so we work for one common thing. So if you're interested, uh, we have a website in our university uh pages, help crising, you can find all contacts through alumni. You can find it's on uh, different Facebook. Uh, so definitely, uh, if you want to help, you can help. That's for sure. Is it so easy? It's not easy. I can say um, sometimes people are ready to help, but because of the bureaucracy from one side, or if they invite us to the big project, I know how it works. Big project, that's mean that they have their budget uh, uh, that was already signed two years ago. 
they can't just resign it. We right. can understand it. So our main thing is just to find partners for future research. But uh, uh, for example, as an example for you, say we had uh, uh, really tight contacts and research history with Mason University, and that colleagues just uh, helped us with other project before, and they said we will find something uh, for you. They created new. Uh, proposal for those who, as I told you, staying in Ukraine, they will have some scholarship uh, to continue their study. So our uh, partner really helped us, Norwegian, USA, as uh, for uh, my school of sociology. So yes, we're really getting this help. Not so easy. Bureaucracy works everywhere in every country, but we are getting this. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening, uh, either live or uh, later on in the replay. Um, and uh, please share this uh, broadcast as with all of my broadcasts, but this one's that much more. Uh, the information on how to help the university uh, and is going to be uh, right there scrolling along the way in this last part of the show. Uh, we will share all the links. Um, the uh, information on the university University's website is also scrolling. Um, uh, Elena, I want to thank you for your time. I want to wish you and your colleagues great health and safety. And uh, you have a partner here in the United States. So anything I can do to help amplify your, your voices and the work that you're doing to help rebuild your campus um, and your community, uh, we are here for you. So thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for this really interesting podcast, and thank you for the job you're doing and for your interest. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, and I hope to see you all for our last show of, uh, of the season one next week, uh, June 22nd at 12 noon. Thank you for being here. This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Now go out there and learn something. 